Hi, and welcome to the Palliators Podcast. I'm your host, fellowship-trained hospice and palliative medicine physician, Dr. Tara Kateen. This podcast is for healthcare professionals who want to become more comfortable and more confident in caring for their chronically ill and terminally ill patients. With the help of the physicians who trained with me, we hope to provide education and to promote palliative care one podcast at a time. We're so glad to have you here. Hi, everybody. I hope y'all are doing okay. I can't wait until we can put this novel coronavirus behind us. And still, I think we're going to be talking about it for a while to come. Every time I think about it, I get paranoid about my own health and that of my family. It just makes me sick to my stomach. Hang on a second. Is sick to my stomach a Southern expression? Well, just so we're clear, I mean, it makes me nauseated. Some people say nauseous. But when I learned the original meaning of nauseous is that you create nausea, I had to stop saying it. The last thing I want to do is create nausea. Of course, now they're pretty much interchangeable words, so you guys say what you want. But that leads us to today's topic, nausea and vomiting. Even though they're separate symptoms, they often occur together and are fairly common in palliative care and hospice. For me, treating nausea and vomiting has always been a bit of a headache. It's a diagnostic issue and a symptom management issue, and the prevalence increases as patients get closer to death. If you can manage the root cause of the problem, for example, if somebody's constipated and they have nausea and vomiting because they're constipated, you relieve the constipation and then the nausea and vomiting abates. And while Managing the underlying cause is ideal. If you can't find a reversible cause, these symptoms can still be treated, and they can be managed at the same time you are treating the underlying etiology. In this podcast, I want to focus on medical therapies for treating the symptoms nausea and vomiting. While evaluating and treating the reversible causes, we look at the emetogenic pathophysiologic pathways so that the medication we choose is more likely to target the neurotransmitters that led to the nausea or vomiting. Now, to be honest, the studies have not borne out that this is better than using empiric treatment, except when treating vomiting due to chemotherapy, radiation, and malignant bowel obstruction. This may be because so many times nausea and vomiting is due to multiple etiologies, and many of the drugs block more than one receptor anyway, and therefore cover more than one pathway. There are a few ways to approach treatment of nausea and vomiting. There are some acronyms and mnemonics that may help you remember different etiologies for vomiting. Usually, these approaches help us to consider which neurotransmitters are leading the way to vomiting and abort the transmission. The primary neurotransmitters are acetylcholine, dopamine, histamine, and serotonin. The Fast Facts series and others recommend using the mnemonic VOMIT, V-O-M-I-T, as a simple way to remember the causes of vomiting, where the letters V-O-M-I-T stand for vestibular, obstruction, dysmotility, infection, and toxins. 
many add an A for anxiety or for anticipatory nausea. So going through the acronym, we start with V for vestibular. I always think of vertigo and motion sickness. The receptors for vestibular causes of nausea would be cholinergic and histaminic. That's why anticholinergics and antihistamines are the drugs of choice. This would be a time that you would use meclizine, promethazine, or scopolamine. Moving on to O for obstruction, meaning obstruction of the bowels by constipation, not by mechanical obstruction by tumor. These receptors would be cholinergic, histaminic, and serotonergic. The drugs to use in a case like this would be to stimulate the myenteric plexus, and stimulants like senicides are often recommended. The M stands for the M in dysmotility of the upper gut. Again, those receptors would be cholinergic, histaminic, and serotonergic. Drugs useful for dysmotility of the upper gut would be prokinetics, which stimulate the serotonin receptors like metoclopramide. The I stands for infection or inflammation, like gastroenteritis or labyrinthitis. The receptors here are cholinergic, histaminic, serotonergic, and neurokinin-1. Drugs that may be useful are promethazine and prochlorperazine. And serotonin inhibitors could also be useful in more severe cases, as in radiation enteritis. The T stands for toxins, toxins that stimulate the chemoreceptor trigger zone in the brain. Toxins like opioids or uremia in renal failure. Receptors involved would be dopamine and serotonin. The drug classes that would be useful would be dopamine and serotonin antagonists. Typical drug examples would be prochlorperazine, haloperidol, and ondansetron. While VOMIT as an acronym or mnemonic may seem easy enough, many experts recommend considering mechanisms of nausea and vomiting where you think about the emetic centers that are being affected. It's kind of a, a different way of using what you learned with VOMIT. All emetic pathways lead to the vomiting center, which is located in the medulla oblongata, and activates the vomiting reflex. It receives information from the cerebral cortex, the vestibular apparatus, the chemoreceptor trigger zone, and the GI tract. You decide which structure is leading the way to the vomiting center. Is it the higher cortical structures, or the chemoreceptor trigger zone in the base of the fourth ventricle, or the vestibular system, or is there a gastrointestinal mechanical stretch or irritation. Again, establishing the etiology of nausea and vomiting helps to discern which receptors are involved and which drug classes would be most helpful in getting good results. So if you have a, a good evaluation and come up with the underlying pathway and neuroreceptors, then you can make a logical choice in targeted therapy to relieve the symptoms. Probably the most common pathway of nausea and vomiting at end of life is by way of the chemoreceptor trigger zone. Medications like opioids, antibiotics, or metabolic problems from renal or hepatic failure, 
or electrolyte abnormalities all can cause nausea via the chemoreceptor trigger zone. An approach to handling this would be to remove the offending agent if possible or correct the underlying problem if possible. The neurotransmitters in the chemoreceptor trigger zone are dopamine, serotonin, and possibly neurokinin-1. So you would choose a medication that antagonizes those transmitters, like Haldol, Olanzapine, Ondansetron, or even a prepotent. Anxiety can trigger nausea and vomiting via the cerebral cortex. Anxiolytics, counseling, cognitive behavioral therapy, they all can be helpful. Uncontrolled pain can cause vomiting by way of the cerebral cortex, so you want to make sure pain is treated. If high intracranial pressure is the cause of the nausea and vomiting, then Decadron would be a good drug to use. The vestibular apparatus pathway is related to movement or positional changes or middle ear infections. Antihistamines or anticholinergics are appropriate treatment. So meclizine, scopolamine, dimenhydrinate, also known as dramamine, would be good choices. And of course, for an infection, antibiotics could be appropriate. If the GI tract, and again, I'm not referring to malignant bowel obstruction, if the GI tract is the cause, say there's irritation from medications like NSAIDs, or say constipation or an impaction causing stretch, or perhaps stimulation of the gag reflex from an NG tube, or reflux, when considering treatment, you may need to stop the NSAIDs, or order a laxative, or hold a feeding, or use a prokinetic like metoclopramide. All these areas trigger the vomiting center, which sets off the vomiting reflex. Management of chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting is particularly important to control, not only to improve quality of life, but to help maintain good nutrition and to avoid anticipatory nausea. Chemotherapy-induced vomiting is usually categorized as acute or delayed. Acute chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting usually begins within two hours of chemotherapy. Delayed usually begins after 24 hours. Acute usually responds to antiserotonergics, and delayed usually responds to antineurokinins, usually in combination with antiserotonergics and decadron. Cannabinoids have had some use in refractory nausea and vomiting or breakthrough nausea from chemotherapy. Aside from giving appropriate medication, you want to give an adequate dose and give it around the clock. If you're dealing with intractable vomiting, you could try adding an antiemetic that uses a different mechanism of action. Patients should be advised to eat smaller, more frequent meals that are appealing to them. They should try to find foods and beverages that are easy on the nose and the taste buds. And consider pre-medicating before eating. So don't forget the acronym or mnemonic VOMIT, V-O-M-I-T, or the pathways to help get a grip on your patient's nausea and vomiting. 
I think maybe in the future we'll have a podcast about malignant bowel obstruction. I think now is a good time for our reflection. It comes from Josh Billings who said, A man who wants to vomit never puts on airs. A listener suggested that I start putting the reflections on our website, thepalliators.com. So you'll be able to find this reflection on our website, and I'll go back through the podcast as time allows and put all the reflections there. I'll put links to the articles and my references in the show notes on thepalliators.com. Please visit our site and send us messages if you have suggestions. If you enjoy our podcast, please give us a good rating and comment in your podcast app. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Bye for now.